and we are back recording and back streaming again. We are moving again and we, our bodies are alive. And I apologize to all that were watching before. We'll edit that out when we release this. But here's just the fun of live video, Ryan. But we're back. Continuing on. 70 percentile of Canadians are using AI. Yes. Well, yeah. And in, in fact, fact, it certainly it feels like we've passed the tipping point there. If that number of Canadians are using it. Among the Canadians who are using tools like ChatGPT. Yeah. Something, Something like 74% of them are entering insensitive information on top of that. So, so I would say that we seem to be past even the web 2.0 revolution in terms yes. of people moving to the cloud. Yes. It appears that Canadians by and large are more comfortable using this type of technology, at least using it themselves. Interesting. What's really interesting though, is that while some very large number of Canadians are using the technology themselves. A very high number of Canadians feel very uncomfortable with the idea that businesses are using this technology, especially if it involves the use of their sensitive information. For example, 40% of people feel like businesses are less likely to be able to perform the way that they expect them to. They have less confidence that they'll be able to deliver on the services that they're supposed to if they use tools like ChatGPT. And, and what's really interesting is that people should understand that ChatGPT is going to make most businesses better at what they do. Not just ChatGPT, frankly, any of these, the, the big AI tools, they should make services better, but Canadians in fact are concerned that they're just going to make things worse. They're also going to make it so that Canadians don't, don't have confidence, confidence that they're going to be able to keep their data secure. And what's interesting there is that AI has become a seriously important tool in terms of protecting people's confidential information. There isn't an IT person on the planet that isn't happy that they can have an AI looking out 24-7 to make sure that there aren't breaches of data and bad actors trying to make their way onto their servers. And yet Canadians don't know that. And so it's really interesting. It seems to be a very different evolution than say like web 1.0 or web 2.0 in that sense is this brian but, but this is fascinating brian is this more like coming from analog to the internet where there were some people that were just no want nothing to do with the internet is it the same people that were like no i don't want businesses to have anything to do with ai and yet what i find fascinating about that statistic is that businesses are run by people so is the same person a business the same person that's going home and using chat gpt is not the same person i, I think, think it's, it's a really, really good, good question, question. I, I think you're, you're by the way, way like you're hitting on the right points i don't, I don't know if it's, it's the same people exactly but, but there's, there's certainly some similarities and i would say like my experience working on quickbooks for example where i was working with a lot of accountants there, there were, were a lot, lot of accountants who got it right out of the box. Yeah. They understood why working on the cloud was going to make everybody's lives better, their clients, theirs, et cetera. But there were a lot of them too who just said, no, I'm clinging onto my desktop until I'm done working. Yes. And certainly those people, they had their arguments around security and they had their arguments around, is it going to be as, effect, as efficient and so forth? And I think time's proven that, it's better to get ahead of these things than it is to be the dinosaur that sits in the back of the room and waits to become redundant. Words per minute in the accounting world is no longer that big of a feature, frankly, as an employee or as a bookkeeper, et cetera. That's all been replaced with Web 2.0. Now, if you're going to be moving on to AI and Web 3, which are probably two connected technologies in a lot of ways. 100%. You're, You're looking, looking at, at further becoming, becoming redundant, redundant if you don't embrace these things, which I think just not, not that I'm here for this reason, but as a plug for the work that you're doing, Keith, I think it's super important to be what do you, able what do you make of all to help this? people to enter into that era. What do you make of all this, Brian? Is this clearly you've spent your time in, in this field, you've done your research, you've done your reading, you're working with customers, talking with customers about it. When you look ahead 24 months, let's just say. Does it look dystopian to you? I think that there's some real concerns around AI that I have. And by the way, I'm not the world's foremost expert on the security risks. One of the risks is really having to do with things like who owns my appearance, my voice, 
etc. It was, it was one, one thing, thing when, when I, I, there, there was a gentleman in India or in Pakistan calling out to try to convince my mom that needed to bail me out of jail or whatever it is. Yes. It's another thing when it's my voice. And, and the technology will get better in terms of the intonation and the spacing and so forth. And my face that's appearing on the camera because whatever the next version of Midjourney is able to create a likeness of me that's imperceptible, imperceptibly similar to me. So that's, I think, one of the real dangers. That I don't know that there's an answer to it, but I also know that whether you decide to participate in these things or not, odds are good that this, this is, is going, going to be a problem, problem regardless. regardless. I, I think that, that there's, there's some, some real work that is ahead of not just governments, but also corporations, industry, industry associations, and so forth that educate people on what it is that is involved. What are the best practices? We need certifications that are going to be shortcuts for consumers to understand, I can trust this business's use of AI because... If we don't get to that point, and it's the Wild West, there's just no way to know whether your data, your image, your voice is going to be safe. Yes. Did you hear? Oh, I see that. I just got a text from our, got a text from off the screen from our colleague Roland, who's saying he's getting some off-screen echo. So I'm going to check something here. Roland, I just turned some knobs down here. Can you? No, there's no audio coming from there. Can you say something, Brian? Testing, testing, testing. One, one, two, one, two. two. Turn that down over there as well. So Roland, I think that we're going to do everything we can to eliminate all the audio effects. I've got that muted and I got that muted and I think we're good. We're going to give that a shot, Mr. Roland, and see if that works out for us. It's still happening, he says. Brian, do you have headphones? I do have headphones. You want to throw some on? We'll see if that fixes things up here live in the lab while Brian's doing that. Having a chit-chat about AI, the impacts on society with artificial intelligence, PR expert Mr. Brian Tritt joining us today from the agency Band-Aid. Brand-Aid. Not Band-Aid, but Brand-Aid, right? Is that, Is that any, any better, better, Keith? I think I'm, we'll have to see what Roland has to say. Yeah, it sounds good to me, but we'll see, what, we'll see what Roland says. If it's still echoing, well, then it's probably somewhere within our tech setup. So what when you think about the likeness and you, your digital likeness and uh, still happening. No, which is good. The headphones work. Thanks. Thanks, Roland. Thanks, Brian. One of the, one of the, one of the segments we're trying to do here in the lab is talk about current events. Did you see the news today from the New York post regarding the interview with Donald Trump yesterday? No, I, I did not. Tell me about it. Oh, so Roland, are you saying it's still happening? You just said no to me. So anyways, there was an interview that and I haven't checked recently, but I just over my morning coffee this morning, New York Post put one of the news channels down in the States had an interview with Donald Trump and just questioning whether the phone in interview was real or not. Oh, I see. Because yeah, that's his, because his voice. That's his, interesting. His voice Although with Donald contact. Trump, he has before he said that it wasn't him, but he's called in posing as his assistant before and stuff yes. like that. So He's quite. He's a pretty big character when it comes to faking, faking his way into interviews. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But apparently, it was it was him. Oh yeah, I can hear the beeps. This is great, eh? So you're hearing the beeps, Roland, in off the computer. So I need to figure out how we're going to turn the WhatsApp beeps off the computer so nobody can hear that. I don't know why there is an echo. Is it a bad echo, Roland? Turn that down a little bit. Turn that down a little bit. Let's go with that there. Let's go with that there. All right, we're going to keep work rocking and rolling here and and see what happens. We were, yeah, so the Donald Trump situation. So I, I heard the interview and... So those that haven't checked out the New York Post today, it was an interesting piece. It was, it was, like I said, he phoned in and I heard the audio and I got to admit there was times it didn't sound like him. So whether it was him or not, I haven't checked recently, but that is what you're suggesting is going to potentially be fooling people, right? Is that you're going to get those video calls, get those phone calls, get those FaceTime calls, and you're not going to know, your mom's not going to know whether it's actually a legitimate person on the other end. Is that what you're saying? I, I don't know that this is going to happen to be clear, but yeah. my hope, hope is it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. 
but that's one of the things that people are afraid of right now. Yeah. And it seems very possible that it could happen. I don't know about you, Keith. My phone rings off the hook yeah. uh, with CRA scammers and others oh, who are trying to get me time. to... How much easier would it be if they were using my mom's voice? Yeah, I just I feel it's a very real threat that people perceive out there. And one of the reasons why they would be hesitant to put sensitive information onto a company's servers because they are afraid that their data could get breached and yes. for a multitude of different reasons. Yes. Yeah. What do you what do you make of the world in, or, or better yet, what where does your head go when you think about the American election coming up next year or the next Canadian election? And it's really the, fir the first time we're living in an AI-generated election era. Where does your head go with that? Optimism, skepticism, dystopian again? I know enough about how Canadian politics works to know that they probably don't have the most sophisticated avant-garde ai enthusiasts running their politics right with that said that could change yeah. in in the u.s i would think that there's probably more of a threat in this coming election cycle i should say of that stuff being used i think it's interesting i would think that you would be foolish not to take advantage of all of the tools that you have at your advantage i would think that you would want to invest in those sorts of tools and certainly it would give you a leg up over the competition if instead of having to rely on highly paid analysts to crunch numbers, you could just go to your LM and ask it questions about, tell me which three talking points are going to resonate the most with this particular audience. I would think that there's some real possible use for the technology as far as elections goes. I also, though, would be concerned not so much about the AI aspect of it, potentially not in this cycle. The things like what you were talking about with forgeries becoming easier to make, et cetera. The truth is, though, like you could have done this previously if you really wanted to. The deepfake technology is not that new. It's just accessible deepfake technology and so convincing of technology is relatively new. And, re and readily available. Yes, exactly. Great segue. ChatGPT came out last November. You're a PR, you're in a PR agency. What was it like when you first used that tool and what was going through your head? I thought this is it for my profession. You know, when I asked ChatGPT to write a to write a media pitch about something that was topical at the time and like too afraid to use it for real business purposes. I was just putting in a fake or a fake scenario and asking it to do it. And I thought it wrote better than I did. Yeah. Uh, and it came up with some really great strategies as well. The more that I used it, the more I realized, no, actually that it's not quite ready to take over my job yet. But I wonder within a few years whether it might be. What has you know, it done for your job though? I would say it depends is the truth. When I was working at Binance, there were ways that I could leverage it in my day-to-day -day life. And that was huge. It gave me shortcuts. It, I was able to figure out ways to be able to get more value out of the tool by, for example, asking it the opposite of the questions that I had been asking it by giving it setups, telling it who it's supposed to act like, giving it guidelines in terms of what it's supposed to best output. And it's been very helpful to me in my work today, but I would say that the problem is that many companies have not yet caught up to the technology. There's security issues. Uh, I'm sure you're all too aware of with the, the work as well. And I've heard some people that I respect say things like, Listen, the fact that security is coming in version 2.0 of this thing doesn't give me enough confidence to use it in version 1.0 of the thing. But I think there needs to be either a way that you could deal with this problem using insurance, and there are ways to deal with it using insurance, or alternatively, if that's not an option, which it wouldn't be in like the fintech space, for example, you can't put anyone's financial data at risk, obviously, Yes. then you're looking at ways that you can use the tool that don't involve using any sort of secret or confidential or sensitive information. And there's still ways you can do that. So. I'm glad you raised that because I'm going to rant for a moment here. Sometimes I wonder, Brian, whether that's just the headline mania driving clicks and clickbait, 
Listen, I'm not suggesting nobody should be worried about security when it comes to ChatGPT or Cloud or Bard or any of the AI tools. But is it any different than how we use Google or how we use the internet today? Like we use common sense, right? I don't sit on Google. Probably not. That is the truth. And I think you're right. You're asking the right questions. You've obviously thought this through. Right. So I'm not saying the data shows that the public is afraid. And the truth is, if you were on the wrong end of a data breach. Yes. That would be big news and would probably be pretty deleterious to the it'd be bad news basically for your business. Yes. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't use AI. I just think that we should be aware of the fact that using cloud or using Llama, I don't know what sort of things, I don't mean to just pick on perplexity, but I don't know what sorts of things they have in place to protect that information from getting out. And then, of course, there's also like the, the T-1000 aspect here. Yes. What is the AI going to do with my information once it has it? And I think these are all really big reasons why there should be more transparency around practices when it comes to these sorts of things. If I'm going to buy widgets from company X, Company X needs to now have a section on their website that says, this is how we use AI. This is how we make sure that your AI, that our AI doesn't do anything to put your data at risk. These to me are just like real basic things that I think most companies are fully capable of doing. They just haven't done it yet. Yes. Yeah. I, I would certainly agree with that. Let's talk a little bit about PR and truth and, and how the world is continuing to interpret truth. I'm fascinated by truth these days, Brian. I know I, I ranted about project I'm working on, Truthbox. We talked a few minutes off air about it, and I'd like to take a few minutes talking about just the idea of truth with you. And for anybody listening, and I've been, when I talk with my business partners about this, I really continue to paraphrase this one statement. And you know me, I think you know me well enough. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not trying to suggest becoming one at all. And I'm not trying to unwind what society has known for the last 100 years or forever about truth. What I know, though, because what I've seen with my own eyes and what I've built with my own hands is I can create my own truth now. And I can distribute that truth in mass quantities to the point where I can convince a lot of people that is truth. And we have spent a lot of time talking about AI and what it can generate and what it can do. And I don't know if enough people are considering what I've just talked about, which is what is true and how and where we are getting our sources of information. I think we are moving towards an internet which is largely paywalled, where if you want to interact with the New York Times or the CBC or the BC or whatever news organization, you're gonna to have to pay to get into their content because that's how you're gonna get your trust. But I'm really curious as to where people go and get their content from the horse's mouth and where they go and get their truth. From your perspective, Brian, in PR, what is truth in 2023? So that's a big question, Keith. I agree with you, by the way, and I'm super excited to hear more about Truthbox. I think the way that the little that I have heard and what I heard you tease on previous episodes of this show, I think it's going to be hugely important for people to be aware of just how much this accelerates a problem that already existed. And what so, problem is that? I hate to do this because, like you, I'm sure we, I love social. I grew up as a social media manager yes. working on your business, frankly, yes. like social media has given me so much and it enriches my life on a day-to-day -day basis. But the algorithms, they're not designed to deliver truth. They're designed to deliver engagements and dollars yes. to, to advertisers. And you don't have to go any further than yes. the quarterly releases for the different publicly traded companies to see that. So I think, this idea of <clears throat> there is a truth, it's a reporter's job to uncover it. The reporter has ethics that person is going to adhere to that will help them to figure out how to report on the truth. It seems to me that the media keeps getting smaller and smaller in Canada. Yes. That puts more and more pressure on these. And by the way, being in PR and exposed to a lot of reporters, it's not an easy job that they have to begin with. And now it's becoming more and more difficult by virtue of these heavy workloads. I think they become more important. I think a reporter has never been more important. 
I totally agree. I, I think what the like what somebody at the New York Times does, or I, I keep picking the Times just because they're they've been around forever. And it's not about agreeing or disagreeing with what the Times produces. It's about having a third party that's doing their investigative journalism and and investigating. Right? There's not enough investigating happening, and as we can create more fake content, investigating has to happen. Where I'm struggling, though, Brian, I go back to tr the truth is rarely do we as consumers appear to get the truth from the horse's mouth. I think it's interesting. So there's two things that I would say about that. So one of them is that's true. Look, social media is going to serve up information that is frankly going to be a bit of an echo chamber. Yes. Things that aren't popular are probably less likely to appear on your newsfeed unless you happen to engage with things that are really unpopular with you. Yes. And I would suggest that recent legislative changes have probably amplified that for certain types of people. And I think it's potentially only going to get worse in that sense. But getting back to you, getting back to your original question, like these reporters, there's a large variance now in terms of what sort of reporting people are giving and what sort of, of reporting people are putting in. But there are some really good journalists out there that I would trust inherently. Yes. And then there are others that raise an eyebrow and wonder what's actually going on. And as a person who is just a member of the public, especially if you're a member of the uninformed group of people, yes. people who don't follow this stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, and that's the vast majority of people as far as I know, Yes. then it's really tough to know what's real and what's not, and it is concerning. I think the role that AI plays in this, though, is really one of exacerbating it. It's making it worse. It's putting tools into the hands of people who previously, if you couldn't write well, nobody was going to read your drivel. Now, if you have access to an LM that can write perfectly and writes better than I do, and spent 11 years in post-secondary education, yes. anybody can write stuff and so like you're removing a certain level of well, you're i don't want to say intelligence which you are though you're, you're removing the, that level of being able to actually express yourself if that comes easily now to everybody it democratizes it and not necessarily in a good way knowledge has so google was one way of democratizing knowledge whatever was 20 25 years ago ai has democratized conversational insight and conversational knowledge unlike any other technology when i can when i can have a doctor in my pocket and talk to it as much as i want and get feedback and get empathy and get answers to my questions and get conversation more than i ever get with my canadian doctor i don't know how you don't use that and i, and I didn't go to school for eight ten years to go and get that knowledge i have it sitting in my pocket no, i hear you although i will say that the flip side of that is that at least I've been on the other end of an LM asking you questions about med medical problems and so forth. And then it turned out it was completely wrong. Yes. And in fact, like had me worried for a week about something, whether something was really going to be a big health problem for me. And it turned right. out that it was a little blip, nothing to worry about. Yes. Uh, so I, I would say that once that technology gets better and better, there's no question you'd be silly not to use it. In terms of getting back to your original question around hearing it from the horse's mouth, I would say that for me, Hearing it from the horse's mouth is not always the truth. I'm going to hear a real spin on it. Yes. I trust most, I shouldn't say most, I trust many journalists, probably most journalists even, to be able to help me to understand whether what I'm hearing is true or not. Because if you haven't investigated it from all sides, you're probably not going to be able to deliver something that resembles the truth. On the other hand, I also think it's really important that people have that opportunity to express themselves and to say their piece. Because the truth is, most of the time, nobody's gonna know it better than that person, that organization, that that business. And if you don't hear from them, and if you've silenced them, and in fact, you're hearing it from third parties who have no real reason to be sharing that kind of information in the first place, they haven't done the research, they're not qualified to do these things, they don't have a track record or a reputation that would indicate that you should listen to them, that's a very bad situation to be in. So I think Truthbox, the little that I know, that I know of it, is going to be a very valuable public service. I speak with my son about the news, Brian. He's 16, and I was asking him where he gets his news, where he gets his, where he learns about things. And he told me that it's largely from, it's people. I'm going to use the word influencers, even though I hate that word, but it's people that he has received that information from in the past that 
And he was like, yeah. So I, I learned about this. Per- I learned about a bit of news from this person I follow on Instagram and they were correct on a few previous things they've told me. So as a result, I now follow them. And it was fascinating to me that this human being was, again, not the New York Times, not a Western or Eastern or any reputable news organization. It's somebody in his circle that is his news source. That to me is when you look at the changes to social, Brian, where social media is, I think it's, no, it's not. I'll rephrase that. Social media is broken. Social media is done. The way the social media was when you and I were at ICUC and the way it was over the last 15 years, that's no longer the case. We both know that. So I think we're seeing the people move as to private messaging groups, groups, messaging is the, is people want to communicate, right? So the influence that, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is the influence that one person can have. We know that, but when it comes to sharing news now or hard news, and fake AI generated news or fake AI generated people, it's a real fascinating conundrum that I don't know many people are still thinking about. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, it's interesting, and just to deviate for a moment, I don't know if you spent much time on threads the first few days that Absolutely. it was. Yes, it was hot and going. Was that, uh, for me, it was just like a breath of fresh air. It was like, reminiscent of the old early days on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just, it felt so good to be on a platform that wasn't about delivering content. Instead, it was seemed at least more about engagement, social networking, getting to actually speak with somebody else and another human being. And I just, I'll get off my soapbox in just one moment, but it just, it felt so good to be in that kind of an online platform at that particular moment. I, I've spent, I've spent a little, a little bit, bit less time, time on threads, threads recently. recently. So has most of the world. Still a little bit of, of yes, yes, that's, that's true. true. I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> yes. But it, it's, it's, it's been really interesting to see, like, it's, it's a little, little bit more commercial, commercial probably than it was in the yes. first couple of days, but it's still, I don't know, it warmed my heart. Yeah, yeah. I So I left social back in whatever it was, 2016, 17, left and as a result reflection it reflects upon the follower count and all that ridiculous those numbers but my point is that stepping back into it you certainly see a different world right it is it's it really is a shopping mall isn't it it really is a big flyer it really is just a big corporate cesspool of people just trying to gather your attention to sell you something and i frankly now that we're back in the game we're one of them We're trying to gather people's attention, pay attention to us, build trust in us, build a tribe with the Business Athlete Performance Lab and get interested in what we're doing. And hopefully along the way, we can monetize that interest because that's really what it's about. We're trying to monetize this, right? You're not here because you're not looking to make some money. We're going, okay, Brian's going to be on the show. We're hoping to get some awareness for Brian. Maybe one day out of this, maybe Brian gets some business. And it's the same thing. We're all fighting for attention. It's quite fascinating to me when you step back into social today. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good, good point. point. It really is. Definitely. There, there are very few people who are, well, I shouldn't say the consumers are on there because they're genuinely interested. Yes. Uh, but they're, they're not engaging with one another the way that, I don't know, Keith, if you've spent any time with Scott Monty, formerly of Crayola, he was at the Ford Motor Company yeah, when, yeah. when we were working on his business. Uh, sort of social the way that God intended it, which is to say that it's about people interacting with one another and getting to know one another and having debates about things, not just trolling and flaming. And I don't know, to me, like I have this very romantic view of what social was like originally and it's completely changed. But it's interesting because you use the word debates and then you also used the word a few moments ago or a concept around these echo chambers, right? As social became a big echo chambers, the debates left. And here's where I will say that I got challenged with a lot of people in the dying days of Twitter, which was people were not wanting to hear discerning voices. No, why, why can't we all drink the same Kool-Aid? And I don't know you, Brian, but I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where we all drink the same Kool-Aid. I want to have healthy debates. I want to have conversation. I want to have opposing views. And it seems to me now you either got to go over here for this point of view, this point of view, or this point of view. But you can't go to a place where we all can have a nice conversation and have a debate and just be human about it. It's unfortunate. I totally agree with you. And I think to me, you know, when you talk about because you can't monetize that because you can't monetize to your point, you can't monetize that because I think you probably could. But my guess is just the algorithms prefer the algorithms 
have picked up on the fact that people are more likely to engage with things that resonate with them and things that are familiar with them. They're going to make them resonate more than things that, that aren't the opposite perspective. Getting back to what you were talking about in terms of what's going to happen in the election cycles coming up. To me, this is where it gets really concerning. Where I live, in Toronto, Toronto and Central Canada, Canada, we'll call yes, it, Eastern yes, Canada, Canada, there are certain narratives that appear to be just completely different than the ones that you would hear in your part of the world, for example. Yes, or, in Central Canada, West. sure, yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting to me, like, the, you know, that combination of things where you have significant differences in terms of the narratives that people are hearing, particularly on social, but... Even, Even beyond, beyond that, that, if you look at local, local news stories, stories they're very different. different. To me, that it's, it's a scary thing. And frankly, like, like I, I don't know the answer to how this all comes to a head. Yeah, I don't know if many of us do. I know that when I when I hear stats that experts are predicting that by 2025, 90 to 95% of the content on the internet will all have been AI generated. It, it makes my morning coffee routine where I sit down and read the paper. It makes that whole thought process really intriguing to me because it's just, it just becomes one big machine loop, right? And again, I go back to truth. I just start to question where I'm getting what's really happened. Are we moving into a world where everything is just spin, which goes back to it. That's why I think there is, there's more value in journalism than there ever has been, frankly. I totally, you're preaching to the choir on that one, but I do think that there's some really interesting things that are happening now in the, uh, the entertainment industry is probably like a prime example of what could go wrong or what could go right, depending on your perspective, but the news industry, that's, that's something too. When I was at Collision, that conference, I attended a bunch of sessions that were intended to cover off media issues. This was me trying to get closer to one of my important stakeholders in terms of journalists, of course, people that I have to work with on a day-to-day basis. But what I heard was a lot of newsrooms have had all-out bans on the use of LLMs. Part of the reason for that, I think, is self-preservation. It's, it's not, not the, the only, only reason, reason, to be clear. There, there are other reasons. It can be dangerous to use an LLM if you're at a news organization because, as, as you're well aware, yes. it occasionally can hallucinate. Yes. But if it's not hallucinating, it might get something wrong, and it's only as good as the information that it's trained on. Of course. And so in those sorts of like really publicly facing ways, if the New York Times put out an article and that article it was full of issues because they relied on an AI, nobody would ever buy the New York Times. Of course. Yeah, you could imagine why those sorts of stakes would be there. On the other hand, for organizations that aren't going to use it, it's going to give them a huge leg up. How much less expensive would it be if I didn't have to pay a reporter? And yes, there's a question around the quality of the work going to be good enough. It probably wouldn't be as good as, I shouldn't say probably, it won't be as good as real reporters on the one hand. On the other hand, I think it makes so much less expensive. I think it makes reporters better. I think it gives, I think it... I think tools like GPT and, and the underlying technology makes a reporter job better. I'm, I'm not really communicating the great English right now, but I just think it, it enables them to create, communicate, and deliver some really great journalism if used properly. Not leaning on it for facts, but leaning on it to help them bring a story, bring a truth to life. I imagine that it can be used in ways that would be super helpful even today. Yes. I think the, there's such perceived danger, though, if it's misused. Boy, it's, I, I wouldn't second guess these editors at this point. But I agree with you. There are certainly things that I find myself doing with these LLMs, like having it uh, grammar check, spell check, uh, make, point out where there might be gaps in my logic. Like there's, there's all sorts of uses that I've found for it. And I imagine that it would help anybody that's writing be a little bit better at their jobs. I think the danger is just once you open up that floodgate, how far is it from that to now? Yes. <laughs> We've got an editor in chief and an, yeah. an army of AIs working for them. I would not have been able to start the Business Athlete Performance Lab Bapple a year ago without AI. Uh, when I look back at what Bapple's, you know, what Bapple is, it's an incubator. It's a, we're got a number of different projects inside the house right now. We're working on the League of Business Athletes, a high performance elite coaching, executive coaching, fitness, wellness program, which melds the best of business and athletics and helps you achieve greatness, right? Helps people achieve their big, hairy, audacious goals. 
help people achieve their fall goals, like our attempt to go climb Mount Kenya. We're working on things like that inside the lab. But, but my point here, Brad, Brad, Brian, is that we are able to do that with this remarkable technology. And again, I read this article today and this gentleman, this VC was talking about the fact that what large language models and generative AI has been able to do is get these lean startups experimenting, bringing ideas to life mm -hmm. quickly, not spending a lot of money and finding either success or failure. And that's what I have found inside of the lab. So I use generative AI. I use tools for everything that I do. I mean everything. So I don't use a notepad anymore. I dump my notes into a conversation with GPT because when I leave a note inside of a notepad, it's static. When I leave a note inside of a GPT conversation, a new conversation, it becomes dynamic and we can have a dialogue about it. I don't believe everything it tells me, but what I do use it for is preparing me for situations that I don't have any awareness about. Hey, I'm going over here. I know nothing about the company or I'm going to meet with this person here. I know nothing about their industry, nothing about the company. Tell me what I should be asking. Tell me what I should know. I use the prepping for emails. I use it. I, I use GPT four and Bard and the other tools for everything I do in my day. Because I, because since I started using it, I was like, okay, I have this superhuman in my pocket. And if I, if I know how to use it appropriately, not again, not believing everything, but use it, use it as a tool again, why wouldn't I? And it has changed my life, frankly. And I'm, and I'm enjoying meeting with my CEOs and the CMOs and these executives that are saying, tell me how it can also change our business and change my life. And it's, no, I, I, I commend you for that. And, and truthfully, I'm, I'm the same. same. And in yeah. terms of when I'm working with branding and if I'm working on things, it's frankly like, I, there's no risk. If it's just my stuff, of course, I'll put it into GPT and other a lamb or whatever, whatever is I'm working on. Frankly, I've been relying on Night Cafe also. I'm a big fan of uh, that design platform. But the truth is, I think when it's my stuff, I'm comfortable doing that. Yes. To me, the, it starts to get tricky when it's a client stuff. I need to be very careful because if something were to, if there was a security issue, of course, or if something was wrong and it came through into the work, that's, That's a big, big problem, problem. Yes. Uh, you know, not, not just for me, me but for yeah. my client. Of course, of course. But I'm with, with you. you. And I love those AI, AI note takers, by the way. I think, I think they're, they're just fantastic. fantastic. I love being able to record myself or yes. you know, record situations that I'm in. I was asked for permission first, of course, yes. and uploading those things and asking for top takeaways or finding ways to figure out are there implications from something that I should be taking into account using GPT to try to figure out what the insight is. Yes. Um, ask, asking key questions that will help to unlock those insights. Think about things differently. I totally agree with you. I think it's game changing technology. I just, at this point, I think the unfortunate thing is unless you're using a version of ChatGPT that's built within that company's security system, sometimes there can be some risks that are involved. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've done some really cool things in the lab, Brian, just to share with our listeners and yourself. And we've done some really cool things in the lab with some companies where we're taking their own private data and building them their own GPT-4 or GPT and basically building it with no, with no hallucinating guardrails, not talking bad shit, just keeping the conversation clean, keeping dialogue safe and delivering great output brand output, policy output on par. And when you show it to some of these business owners, they're like, wow, I didn't realize we had all that data or surfacing data that they forgot about or surfacing content that they just bring it all to life again. Right. So that's, that's what we're really finding with these custom GPTs, working with the customer on the educational side of thing, which took all their educational learning program that they've made for the last 20 years and took all that content and built a GPT around it and basically brought this content to life again, 20 years later. Some really cool things you can do with it. I love that. I think, I think by, by the way, way like that's, that's the future. The future. Yes. I also I think, think I told you this before, but not, not the first time that, that you've come up with a visionary idea. The notion in particular with Backle, you know, I, I think that you've tapped into something. There are very few senior executives, I'm telling you stuff that you already know, but there are very few senior executives that don't work out. And, and yes. aren't, aren't interested, interested in becoming better in, in all aspects, aspects of their life. life. Yes. Yeah. The, the idea, idea that you will have, as far as I know, it's still the only one, one that you will have the only real LM of note that's devoted specifically to a combination of coaching in your business and in athletics 
both, both of which have some serious implications for leadership more generally, your life is really only as good as what it's trained the inputs from its users. And so like to me, it's super interesting, the idea that you could at three in the morning when you wake up in a panic, you might not feel comfortable calling your coach. It's true though. I'd feel comfortable asking Babel. Yeah. And hopefully if enough people are using it, You'll end, end up, up with, with some, some really, really great, great uh, results, results that come from that. It's fascinating to me how many people that I have talked to and have read about and done research around that are leaning on these AI coaches or virtual coaches. And I will be honest with you, I've used Pi, large language model from Reed Hoffman and the gang. Uh, I'm not sure if you know of Pi. I, I, I know it though. Pi, hey Pi, hey Pi, uh, hey Pi.ai, I think it is. It is a fascinating AI. And what's fascinating about it is just the empathy and the conversation that you have with it. It's unlike GPT-4 or Bing or the other language models. And uh, I was chatting with my stepdaughter uh, a couple of months ago, who's seven, and we just had an engaging conversation with it. So my point is when I hear people using AI for coaching or for companionship, I can see the benefit of that, really. Oh, oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I, if you try, I don't think that some of the larger LLMs will let you, uh, but they seem to be capable of yes. doing the sorts of things that, I don't know, some sort of a therapist would be able to do. Well, so when I started the lab and I was and one of the questions posed to me by one of the partners was, how do we scale coaching? Because there's only 720 hours in a month. How do we turn that into 1440 or 2880 right now? And it was a question that I was troubled by, which is how am I going to scale a coaching business? I had no desire just to build a singular coaching business. So it was like, okay, let's use AI. Let's use tool sets to, to enable us to scale Brian's expertise, scale Craig's expertise or AJ's expertise. And by either using tools like virtual replicas of them, AI models of them, using AI, AI models of their knowledge, doing some really neat things with a company in New Zealand called soul machines, where we're bringing AI avatars to life. So really neat things that I think bridge the gap in the coaching sphere that if you can be coached by both a human and perhaps a, an AI assisted human, why wouldn't you? So some really interesting things there, but a good time for me to segue to a segment in the show where our ambition was always to have chat GPT help drive some of the questions. So what cool. we did was we took your LinkedIn profile and anything we could find about Brian Tritt, went to YouTube, we did it, found previous interview or something of yours and Roland did some work and we have some GPT questions based on LinkedIn and we have some GPT questions based on your previous YouTube interview. So without prompting, this was some of the questions we got from GPT-4. So the first one, FinTech and crypto expertise. First of all, before we get into the question from Keith to Brian, is that industry dead now that AI has taken on the, the swarm of conversation? Are people still talking crypto and NFTs and fintech, or is it, or has it become normalized? Or did some of the lawsuits over the last twelve months really shake people to their knees? Yeah, I think it's to be determined. I would tell you that my opinion—it's purely an opinion. It should not be taken as financial advice. Yes. I've not always done well in the markets. Made a couple of good guesses over the years, but don't trust me on this sort of thing. What I would tell you is if Bitcoin is still at whatever it is today, it's 20, 20 something thousand. Yeah. yeah. 34,000 yesterday. Okay. Canadian. Okay. And the SEC has sued Binance. They've, there are all sorts of lawsuits in the US against major exchanges, other players in the industry. They've shut down banking relationships. If Bitcoin hasn't fallen to zero yet, I think it's unlikely that it will. Ah, um, interesting comment, you know, so yes. The, the situation with FTX unfolding and then like all of the nonsense and FUD that, that surrounded that, it just, I don't think it can get any worse. <laughs> That's my opinion. Uh, and I think that the people who are invested in it, they seem to be really invested in it. And the other thing, of course, is that we've seen some interest, new interest, in fact, in ETFs coming out of the US. So I, I think to me, it looks like trending in the right direction overall. Yeah. But with that said, don't take my word for it and don't bet it all on Bitcoin just because I think so. <laughs> so that, that leads to our question from, from GPT, which was, you have a rich background in fintech, crypto and B2B and B2C tech. How do you see the convergence of these industries, especially with the rising prominence 
of decentralized finance? It's a really good question. Did I'm we probably have not the right finance? person to answer <laughs> that question, however. Uh, I will give it a try. Yeah, let's do that. For me, when I think about the use of AI, when it's combined with Web3, everything just could be so much easier. Yeah. If you think about something like QuickBooks, I don't know, Keith, just how close uh, in certain parts of your career you've been to keeping the, keeping the books. I'm familiar with QuickBooks. Yeah, I've spent my time in there. Until I'm like, all right, I'm handing it off. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you get to a point where you're like, I didn't get into this because I wanted to enter things into my QuickBooks. Although yes. Somebody who likes these sorts of things would actually think it's fun. But the, the truth is you didn't get into it for that reason. Fast forward to a utopian situation where you're a manufacturer, you get your raw materials from Vietnam, the money is transferred back and forth by a crypto you never need to make an exchange there's an immutable ledger that's attached to it so it all automatically shows up in quickbooks you no longer have to bug lawyers because you've programmed contracts in, in, into the uh, into the networks so it all just happens automatically there's a world eventually where you don't have to worry about anything except getting the work done and wouldn't that be a beautiful thing it wouldn't that be a beautiful thing but humans have a propensity to want to get in the way of the, there always seems to be bureaucracy that has to get in the way of results at least in my experience anyways i think look you'll still end up doing taxes and so yes. forth but it'll all be there hopefully eventually the government can tap into some of these blockchains and Maybe you don't even need to do that much, but there, there definitely, I'm not to, this is not to say that uh, you wouldn't need an accountant or a bookkeeper, but I think that the type of work that they'll be doing will be very different. Hopefully, instead of being focused on making sure that you're not getting yourself into trouble, and many of them already do this, by the way, the good ones do, they'll be focused on how do you optimize? How do you make sure that you're focused on the right products? Where should you be putting your money? Where should you be putting your R&D, et cetera, to help you to maximize output from the business with the help of AI, making them even more powerful. Yeah, yeah, excellent. We're going to wrap up with a couple last questions from GPT-4. We've been going at this for an hour with a little bit of a technical break here in the Live in the Lab, our first show with Keith and Brian. Live in the Lab, Monday to Friday, noon central time. That's our ambition. And as we all know, ambition, when you have ambition, I think it allows for great opportunity for success, but ambition also allows for failure. And when you have failure, you learn and you try again, right? So if we have no ambition, we can't achieve either success or failure. Got to start with the ambition. Brian, personal interests. When GPT-4 looked at your LinkedIn, it said, you've listed interests like animal welfare and economic empowerment. How do these personal passions intersect with your professional life and do they influence, ooh, here's a good one, do they influence your PR strategies? No to the first one. So I, my interest in animals probably doesn't really affect my professional life all that much. I wish that it did. Frankly, it hasn't to date. I've been a vegan since 2001. You know, that, that's probably where most of the animal related stuff comes out in my career when my colleagues realize what a pain in the ass it's going to be to try to pick out a restaurant that we can all eat at or go to bar to go to after, after hours. As far as my interest in economic empowerment goes, that's been a constant over the last 10 years, working on TurboTax, trying to help people to take control of their own taxes and their own financial year. Really, the taxes, I'm stealing a line here, by the way. The taxes are the story of your year. And so there's nobody better equipped to tell that story probably than you are, unless your year was extremely complicated, in which case then you better go to an accountant. My friends at QuickBooks will take care of you. Yes, My, my accountant friends who use QuickBooks, I should say. With QuickBooks, it was helping small business owners and to connect with accountants so that those accountants could help them in ways that they couldn't even imagine. And when, when I, say I say accountants, accountants I mean, I'm being, being inclusive of bookkeepers as well, though those, those two are two diff different professions and they both bring a lot of value to the table. When I worked for Go Easy, if you're not familiar with them, you'd probably be familiar with Easy Financial or Easy of course, Home or of course, yes. uh, one, one of those brands. It was about taking people who had serious issues with their credit and empowering them to be able to improve their credit. And I'm proud to say that we had data that showed that 
40 percent of our customers within 12 months were graduating to prime lending and 60 percent of them were improving their credit over the course of that time spectacular so just spectacular results as far as that goes and then working for binance yes the bleeding edge of finance and i can only tell you in the west there are far fewer use cases today but if you live in a country like argentina or in turkey some legitimate uses for crypto yes. uh, and will help people in ways that I, you and I would have trouble even imagining. And when we think about even in places like Asia, where it's a lot more ubiquitous, so stuff like remittances, if I'm sending money back home to whatever country emigrated from, doing it with crypto allows that money to get there so much faster, so much cheaper. Just to me, empowering people to be able to do those sorts of things was highly rewarding and frankly has been throughout the career. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Brian, one of the, one of the questions that I did not ask that I was that part of our goal here in the lab is to start off every conversation with our guests is about the concept of the business athlete. I started my day with a walk today. I went for a walk and got me cleared my head and cause I knew I had a busy day today. I knew I was spending time with yourself. I start my day every single day routinely in the gym, religiously. And in the gym for me is not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, that concept of taking care of my human. Tell our listeners and tell us about yourself. How do you weave the business athlete philosophy into your life as a busy human being? You know, I grew, I grew up, up playing, playing competitive sports. sports. I would I'd say, say that the, the pinnacle of my athletic, athletic career was probably, I don't know, I was an all-star all high school goalie for the Montreal, Montreal area. Nice. And, and I played, I played hockey, hockey for NYU as well. And and NYU, NYU, by the way, not a powerhouse in hockey. hockey. And, and I was that good either. I was an academic All-American. I was not an All-American. So I had a lot of fun doing that. And that's carried over into my adult life. So occasionally renting myself out as a goalie as well as playing on teams. This, this past, past year, year I, I hung, hung up, up my goalie skates yeah. and decided that I was going to focus on being a skater. And let me tell you, Keith, it has been so humbling. I am terrible at being a skater. And the worst part is I step out on the ice and I skate well, but everything else I'm terrible at. So I get out there and people think, oh, he looks like he's pretty good. And then I get out on the ice. I'm out of position. I can't see what's going on. I can't control the puck. And it's just, it's phenomenal. So you asked about fall goal. I'm starting hockey and playing in a league where I will be far and away probably the worst person on the ice. So that my goal is just to survive. That's awesome. But at least you're doing something, right? And that's, Absolutely. That, that is the, that's the ambition, success and the failure come after the ambition. Good for you. That's spectacular. Brian Tritt, last words to you. Any questions you have of me? Any comments you want to make to the listeners before we say goodbye today at Live in the Lab? I would, I would say, say this has been a lot, lot of fun. fun. Thanks, Thanks for having, having me. me. Yeah. And I would I also say that if anyone is interested in hearing more about what the public thinks about AI using businesses, or if they, they want to talk AI and PR, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to have that conversation. I'm happy to take people through the results of the survey that I ran. No charge, of course. And very happy to meet anybody that is interested in talking about those topics. So thank you very much for having me. And if you're looking for me again, it's brandaidpr.com. That's awesome, Brian. That's spectacular. So I'm going to do a switch to this camera. Stick around, Mr. Tripp, before we say goodbye. And everybody, I thank you guys all for joining us live in the lab, in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. You can join us here every single Monday to Wednesday to Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, noon central time, live in the lab. And then we're going to record this and spit it out on the social. So if you miss this live, you can view it on demand and catch up along the way. So... Thank you all for signing in. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining myself, Keith Billis, and for joining Brian Tripp as well. Have a good one, everybody.